uh, as we were uh, on this trip, we took 11 people from our church who uh, conveniently all showed up to second service. Uh, all those people came. To, they weren't at first service with my wife and I. They came to second service uh, because they slept in and probably woke up at 3.30 a.m. Uh, no, we were talking, we had 25, 24 other people on this, uh, in this bus with us uh, for the past 10 days. And as we were touring around, this is us touring around uh, all of Israel. And as I was talking to some of them about their churches, there was people from Canada, South Africa, uh, Iceland, uh, California, and I lumped that in there because it's like a whole other country. And uh, <laughs> as, uh, as we got to talk with some of them about their churches and their uh, situations and and all of that, I just was reminded as to the great privilege it is to be able to be one of the leaders here and, um, uh, and to just the specialness of what we have as a church. Um, that, uh, the fact that Julie says that we've got a ton of volunteers uh, that are uh, a part of our dream team down with, with your kids even right now is true. Um, we always need more of God's stirring on your heart to work with our kids. She, she's always looking for more. Um, but... Uh, we have an enormously uh, serving uh, congregation, uh, and for that, I just want to say thank you. It's a privilege, and it's easy to uh, be a part of this church and to lead this church. Uh, we're in a, a series that's really birthed. It started right after Easter, and it's birthed out of uh, this disciple whose name is Thomas, and right after the resurrection took place, and Jesus uh, uh, rises, raises from the grave, and as, just as Jesus rose from the grave, um, everybody's telling him that he's risen, and he's got his doubts. He doesn't really believe people. He wants to believe, but uh, he knows that they put him in the tomb, and they know that they closed the tomb up, and they sealed it, and all of that, and, uh, and so he wants to believe, but, and I, this series is really dedicated to anybody that's ever been uh, a part of a church or have come to church or uh, have tried this faith journey, and, and there's just these barriers, there's these things that you just keep running up against. They're like, I want to believe, but uh, the theme verse for this is from John chapter 20, verse 27. Uh, this is Jesus appearing to Thomas, this disciple who's doubted whether or not he's actually uh, rose from the grave. And he says to Thomas, I want you to put your finger here and see my hands. I want you to reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he says to Thomas, Thomas, stop doubting uh, and believe. Uh, so for us as a church, we're talking about some of the hurdles or challenges that people have in their faith. Uh, that there are a lot of people that believe in God, but there's something that happens, some reason, some hurdle, some ceiling, some, you know, something that you just hit up against that keeps them from completely believing. Uh, and the argument that we've made over the past few weeks has really been that I believe that uh, people are not believing uh, in the true God, that they're believing in a, uh, they're rejecting a distorted view of God. They're rejecting a, a false God. It, it's the wrong view of God. Uh, in, in week one of the series, we talked about uh, on-demand God, that God doesn't do uh, what we want him to do when we want him to do it. Uh, and we also discovered that that God just simply doesn't exist, that there, there is no such thing as on-demand God where we get to uh, ask of him to do everything that we want him to do. And, uh, and then in week two, we talked about uh, killjoy God, uh, the, the God who has all of these rules and regulations and just wants to suck the life and fun out of our uh, of our of our lives, and uh, and we also discovered that that's just simply not the case. That's a wrong view of God. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy spoke, and uh, everything that I'm hearing from people is that he did an amazing job. Uh, I'll be the judge of it. I haven't actually watched it yet, uh, but no, I, I heard he did a great job, really giving a prophetic word on stepping out of our fear. Uh, into the things that God's called us to. And in fact, in between services, we had a couple come up and just share uh, to both Jeremy and I just about how impactful that was for them. Uh, even so much that the, uh, that the wife said that 
Um, she's really been struggling with fear in her life, and she's just kind of been sitting around. She want, wanted to step out uh, and uh, apply for a job, and, but she just, there was too much fear going on, and, uh, and Jeremy's message last week was the, what, I think you said it was like the, the gentle kick uh, in the, how did you say it? The gentle nudge, the gentle kick in the butt, I don't know, uh, uh, to just send her over the edge. And so this week, she applied for a job. And, uh, and so we, we don't know if she gets the job, but that really doesn't matter. That what matters is that the stepping out, in, uh, out of our fear and into the things that God's called us to do. So thank you, Jeremy, for, uh, for sharing the last week. Uh, next week, uh, I just want to tell you about this because I, I think it's really important. I say the most common objection to I want to believe in God, but to the very last week. And this is, uh, we're calling it the heartless God. You know somebody who wants to believe in God, would like to believe in God, but can't because they would say that it doesn't seem like he cares. It doesn't seem like, how could he allow this to happen in my life? Or how could all of these bad things happen to very good people? Like, it, it just... I, I want to believe in God, but, but how could he allow this to happen? Uh, and I think that a lot of us have either struggled with that question uh, or maybe are continuing to struggle. I certainly believe that uh, all of us know somebody who lives in that place. Uh, and I hope it'll be an opportunity for you to invite them and uh, come and listen, because I, I promise you it will speak to a lot of us uh, in a very real way. Today, I want to talk about uh, what we're calling the goosebump God. I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him. How, how, do, how do I believe in a God that, uh, that I can't audibly hear, uh, that I can't see? How do I believe in a God that I, that I don't feel? I want to believe in God, but, uh, but I just don't, I don't feel him. Uh, quite a few months ago, about, uh, I think it was seven or eight months ago, uh, we had a, a young gal come through our, our newcomer's reception, uh, which, by the way, is uh, tonight. There is one on May 20th, but there's another one tonight. Uh, and I think we have some spots available, so if you, if you haven't signed up for that, you can go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, just another announcement, right? Uh, but she came through our newcomer's reception, and uh, in the course of, of talking to her, uh, the response that she gave us was that she's hurting, uh, that she's alone, uh, and that she's driving herself to church every single week because she's seeking something spiritually. She's looking for something of depth in her life. Uh, but she said, it's just not happening. Uh, I'm just, I just don't feel anything. Uh, she went on to say, I, I try to read my Bible, and I don't understand it. I, I, I try to sing the songs. It seems like everybody else is singing the songs. They're raising their hands. Uh, and I just, I feel numb. I don't feel anything. And you could sense this longing in this, this desire to feel God in her life. And I guarantee you that many of us, if not all of us, have felt that at some point in our life or are in that place right now where we want to feel God, but we just don't. We just don't feel him. And then what happens is when you're in the midst of that, where you just don't feel God, inevitably you end up in a life group with someone in your life group who feels God everywhere, right? Who uh, you know, who just happens to share with everybody about the fact that I was just talking to God and God said this to me and uh, I was driving here and my favorite song came on and, uh, and it was just like God was in that moment and oh, by the way, I prayed that my husband would get a raise and he got a raise and my son got accepted to this prestigious university and I, I, I was pulling into the mall parking lot of the North Star and I prayed, God, I need a parking spot and a parking spot opened up. You know that person, right? And you're the person that's thinking, yeah, I, I drove to work and there wasn't any good music on. I, I pulled into the mall, prayed for a spot, couldn't find one, had to walk a mile and a half in the rain. My, my husband got fired. My son got declined for acceptance into community college. And, and my life is horrible. Like, where is God in my life? I, I don't get it. I don't feel him. 
And so if you've ever wondered where God is, I want to talk about that today. So just for fun, let's, uh, let's just have some participation here this morning. Uh, just with a show of hands, just raise your hand. How many of you have, uh, this would be for those who are followers of Jesus, how many of you would say that you think that you have ever felt the presence of God? Just with a, a raise of hands. Okay, all, all across the room. All right, how many of you would say that the, this morning, even during the worship set, uh, during your praise and worship, you felt the presence of God? Just with a, a raise of hands. Yeah, not as many, but a, but a lot of you still felt uh, that way. So the next question I would ask then is, how do you know that what you felt was God? Right? How, how do you know? Like, what, what do you say when somebody says, how do you know that you felt the presence of God? Uh, sometimes our response is, well, I, I, got, I got the chills. I got goosebumps in, in the midst of uh, of the service, or, or maybe you got emotional, maybe you, uh, you started crying in the midst of, of worship, or uh, maybe your circumstances that you just felt uh, a peaceful, easy feeling. I think there's a song about that, but uh, you just had this peaceful feeling in your, in your life. I don't know. How, how, do you, how do you know? How do you know whether or not it was God? Uh, because I, I want to I push us just a little bit this morning because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you would say, well, I know it's the presence of God because I had this tingly feeling. I got the, the chills. I don't know if you know this, but when you sit across the table uh, from the opposite sex who smells good and looks good, you can have that same tingly feeling. <laughs> and some of you are shaking your head, no, like that doesn't happen. Of course that happens. Right? Or, or maybe you're thinking, well, I just, in the midst of worship, I just was crying, and, and that's how I know. Well, have you ever watched like a real emotional uh, uh, Facebook video or YouTube video? And I, I mean, I'm like, a, I bawl like a baby when I watch some of those videos, and I start crying. Was that, was that God in, in that situation? Maybe it's the, the peaceful, easy feeling. Well, you can light some candles, uh, draw a bubble bath, and put on some jazz music and have a peaceful, easy evening, right? And I, I know I'm being a little sarcastic here with this, but I, wanna, I want us to begin to question and, and begin to ask ourselves, how do we know when we feel God? If, if you didn't, if you weren't one of the people that raised their hand, or if you were one of the people that didn't raise their hands and say, I didn't feel God this morning during worship, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Is it that he didn't like your attitude this week? And so he's like, you know, I'm just going to withhold my, my presence from you today. Uh, is it your fault? Is, is your spiritual antenna not up today? Uh, maybe you're jet lagged and so from a 13-hour flight, and so you just don't feel the presence of God. Or, uh, or uh, maybe it's Jeremy's fault because he didn't play your favorite song this morning that ushers you into the presence of God, and he didn't do it, so it's his fault. What do you do when you don't feel the presence of God? What I want to do today is hopefully show us that the presence of God is so much bigger than our feelings. To introduce this to you, you can write this down in your notes if you want, if you're taking notes. Uh, if you don't always feel God's presence, you're not alone. I want to share with you uh, a couple of, pers of my personal stories, a, a couple of uh, examples from scripture that we see, and as well as one of the uh, literary giants of, of, our, uh, of Christendom, uh, who all at one point or another didn't feel the presence of God. We're going to start in Psalm chapter 88, verse 13 through 14. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me. I need your help. I want to feel your presence today, but it's like heaven is silent. It's like there's this ceiling that's blocking me from knowing you. God, I need your presence, but you're not even there. Why do you reject me? 
You look at some of the, uh, the spiritual uh, giants of the Bible. You look at a guy like David who would have penned this psalm. And uh, David was a guy that scripture tells us was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who uh, oftentimes experienced extreme intimacy with his heavenly father. He ex experienced such a closeness with God. And then there was these other times where he didn't experience any sort of closeness. He questioned whether God even existed. I got to uh, this last week, and you knew that if I'm coming back from Israel, that there was going to be a lot of references to our trip. But uh, not on our tour, and because we were such an amazing group of people, our tour guide loved us so much uh, that he took us to a place that was one of his favorite places, and uh, I had never been. I went to Israel 21 years ago. Uh, this was my second time back. My parents have been 10 times. This was their 11th. They had never been to this place. And all of a sudden, we're driving down this real windy road. Uh, it's in the middle of the afternoon. It's hotter than anything you've ever experienced. We're out in the middle of the desert. We come up to this hilltop, and, and we look down, and there's this valley that's down below. And in the valley is this monastery. There's seven monks that live in this monastery that's built into the side of the, the cliff of this, uh, of this valley. And uh, our tour guide then says, hey, I want everybody to understand that this right here is the valley of the shadow of death. This is what David was talking about when he penned the, the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And I assure you, it is the valley of the shadow of death. It is awful, like hot, miserable, desert, no life. There is some life where water collects down through there. But if you're David and you're alone, you're probably dead. Because if your enemies don't kill you, the flash floods will kill you. Uh, just last week, there were 10 students, 10, uh, 17 to 19-year-old uh, students who uh, got caught up in a flash flood and killed in the desert. In, in, not in the valley of the shadow of death, but something just like it. If you're David, that's what he's talking about. But he didn't, he wasn't afraid because he knew what? He knew God was with him. But then he, in other times, he cries out to God, where are you? I can't feel you. I don't even know if you exist. Why are you allowing my enemies to persecute me? Why do I have to run and hide into caves because my enemies are trying to track me down and kill me? God, where are you? It wasn't always you are with me. You look at the life of Paul in the New Testament. This guy experiences the risen Christ. He has arguably one of the most amazing heavenly experiences possible. So glorious that he's not even allowed to talk about it. And what does he do for the 17 years after he becomes a follower of Jesus? For 17 years, he waits to preach. He waits, he waits, he builds tents. He questions God, give me a chance. Where are you? Where are you, God? I don't feel you. And then there's, there's Jesus. And we probably don't ever think about it in this context, but Jesus, who walked in the most uh, intimate fellowship, moment by moment with God, the Father, he, he he goes to the cross. He becomes sin for us. And I don't really understand how all of this works. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of scriptural references the past uh, couple of weeks at our time in Israel. And, uh, and I've researched this. And, and the scriptures just aren't super clear about this. But evidently, when Jesus became sin, when he took on himself the sin of the world as he's dying on the cross... God is so holy. God the Father is so holy that he couldn't look upon this. And whatever is going on there, darkness uh, falls. The world goes dark. Jesus gives his life. He looks up in the most desperate moment of his life, and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. That's how you know I've been to Israel. I start using Hebrew and stuff. And that Hebrew? No. God... My God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you for Jesus, God's son, in his greatest moment of brokenness, God, I felt you my whole life. I experienced such intimate closeness with you while I was here on this earth. Now, in my moment of, of weakness and brokenness, where are you? Where are you, God? Three different examples from Scripture of people who, who absolutely, at one point in their life, questioned whether or not God was even present in their life. And then you have uh, a great author, maybe some of you have read his works uh, uh, from the author C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you haven't read his works, you might have seen his movies, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote those books and then they made movies about it. He wrote Mere Christianity, he wrote The Screwtape Letters, he just wrote some absolutely amazing books. And this spiritual giant actually wrote at one point in his life, when, when things were just terrible in his life, he wrote about the fact that he didn't sense or feel the presence of God. Here's what he wrote during one of, one of his this times in his life. He cries out to God and he says, I got a door slammed in my face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. He goes on to say that this caused him to doubt the presence of God. He, he said... And he explains it in this metaphorical way. He says, there are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. In other words, I don't even know if God is even there. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and very absent of help in our time of trouble? See, if you don't feel the presence of God in your life, you're not alone. And what I want to do today is I want to suggest three possible reasons why some of us might say at one point or another in our life, I want to believe in God, but I just don't feel him right now. There certainly could be more, uh, but we're going to take a look at three. The first one of why we don't always feel God is perhaps maybe we are over-sensationalizing it. We do exactly what the disciples did in John chapter 6, verse 30. They're talking to Jesus and they're saying to Jesus, I, we, we really are wanting you to give us some sort of, of big, bold, ta-da, God exists for my life. And, and so they're talking to Jesus and they ask Jesus, what sign then will you give in, in verse 30 of John 6? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And then they use the past to increase their argument. They, they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. God gave them, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. God did this. God did this miracle. There's this bread from heaven. Jesus, could you do something like that? Could you give us some sense that God really is with us? There's some of us that maybe are over-sensationalizing it. We want to know God. We want to feel it. Yet we're looking for some sort of audible voice. We're looking for a sign. You might be consider, considering changing your vocation or changing your job situation. And, and you want to step out, but you don't know, like, is this, am I supposed to do that? Is this what God's asking me to do? Uh, you know, I, is, maybe this is what I'm called to do for the rest of my life. Maybe this place that I'm in is where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not sure. Like, maybe there's something else out there that if I just pursued it, uh, that maybe I would make more money or have more time or whatever. And, and so I'm just, I, God, could you just tell me? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe you're uh, dating somebody or if you could remember all the way back to when you were dating your spouse and you're wondering, like, is this the person that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with? God, just give me a sign. Just show me. Just tell me whether or not this is who I'm supposed to be with. And, and it's almost as if we're just asking God to just speak audibly and say, thou, hast, yeah, thou must... Uh, breaketh up with this economy class person because I thou have a business class person for you. All right, and there's a little bit of a joke in there from a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here, you better go back and watch it because it makes sense if you were here a couple of weeks ago. 
That's what we want, isn't it? We want an angel to show up and, and like these, these kids who are, or these guys who are uh, flipping these arrows, they're amazing at it, right? And I'm like, if somebody's got that much talent to flip an arrow, go do something else. But they're flipping the arrows and then I give them credit for doing it. They stand on the heat. We want a flipping arrow angel. I had to say that very carefully. So we want an angel that's flipping the arrow saying this, this is what you should do. This is the way that you should go. This is what I have for your life. And yet we just don't feel it because we're over sensationalizing it. And I just want to remind all of us that God doesn't always reveal himself that way. There are times where you might feel him, but there are also times where you may not. For my own life, I'll just give you a couple different examples. One was uh, when I was 12 years old, I was uh, attending a winter camp. And at this winter camp, there was a speaker. We were with a bunch of other uh, junior high students. And uh, I think there was actually junior high and high school students at this winter camp. And uh, I was there in the crowd. And I remember it like it was yesterday. The camp speaker said, some of you are called into full-time ministry. And if that's you, I want you to come down and get prayed for. And I was like, that's me. I'm going down. And so I, I got out of, out of my row, walked down the aisle, came to the front where there was a bunch of youth leaders that may or may not have known what they were doing. And they were standing there ready to pray for us. And I knew that in that moment, as I was getting prayed for, as they were laying hands on me, the heavens were going to open up. The Holy Spirit was going to ascend like a dove, land on my shoulder, and, and everybody was going to be this is the servant that God has chosen. <laughs> he is called into full-time ministry. And instead, what happened is as I'm walking down, I've got my Josh McDowell, I'm not doing a t-shirt on, and I'm standing there, and, the, and this, this leader, who I'm certain uh, was thrown into this, puts their hands on my shoulders and begins to pray for this calling that God has on my life. And in that moment, do you know what happened? Nothing. No dove, no heavens opening up, nobody, no, no shining Shekinah glory over me. It was just the same as when I walked down the aisle. In fact, I went to bed a little depressed and upset by the fact that God, I didn't feel God in that moment. I was certain that I was called into full-time ministry, but I didn't feel him in that moment. Maybe uh, one of the worst times was uh, in my ordination. So what happens in our denomination is you uh, graduate from Bible college, you have uh, your, your license to preach, uh, but then you have your license to preach, but you're not ordained. They make you wait a couple years to make sure that you're not crazy and you're not going to quit. And then you get your ordination. And so in my case, uh, it was at a district council or a district convention in Oregon. Uh, my whole church from Washington, all the staff uh, came down with us. We drove down to this uh, district uh, conference. My parents flew in to be there for my ordination. I was going to have all of these spiritual leaders in my life praying over me. Uh, really, really uh, spiritual moment. And what happened was, uh, is there was a message before the ordination took place. Uh, at the very end, they were going to pray over us. It's going to be this amazing, uh, this amazing thing. The problem was the service just went on and on and on and on. And most of you don't know this, but I'm about to reveal something personal about my life. I don't have what they call a large bladder. <laughs> I have to use the restroom often, and I needed to use the restroom in that moment. Uh, it, but now it's time to pray. Now all of these spiritual leaders in my life, these, these staff members, these coworkers, my parents, they're all there, and they begin to pray over me, and I'm dancing <laughs> because I've got to go. And they think I'm being uh, overcome by the Holy Spirit, so they're just getting more intense, and I'm like trying my best not to wet myself 
and I'm feeling something, but it's not God. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, why? In one of the most important times of my ministry life, why can I not feel the sense of God in my life? Because there are times in which we don't feel anything. I went to bed that night thinking maybe I'm not even supposed to be in the ministry. Sometimes I go to bed still thinking that. We have to understand that that the, the feelings, that our feelings are not the evidence of the presence of God. Feelings are not the only evidence that God is with us. Because if you, if you always felt God, you wouldn't need faith. You could say it this way. If you always felt the presence of God, your faith would not be required. Scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are some of us, if I could just say it, we're over-sensationalizing it. We're always looking for that goosebump feeling. Honestly, we've had people leave our church because they didn't feel the presence of God. Perhaps some of us are looking for something that's not there because God is always with us. The second thing, if you're taking notes, and and this isn't used to scare us, but I do feel obligated to share this with you, is that maybe your heart is hardened. uh, Your heart is hardened. That we were close to God at one point, and now our heart is not soft to the things of God. This was Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have, uh, and they have closed their eyes. What happened? They were close, perhaps, to God at once, but over time, their heart grew harder and harder. Now, spiritually, they don't see the way that they used to see. They don't hear the way that they used to hear. And again, this isn't a scare tactic or anything, but perhaps some of us have allowed our heart to grow hard to the things of God. And we have to understand that the number one cause of a hard heart is sin in our life. You can explain it this way. If you sin against God, it separates us from God. If you you sin against God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you're now not saved. Listen, you're still a Christian. God still loves you. But when you sin against God and you're a follower of Jesus... You're still a follower of Jesus, but what happens is the sin breaks the intimacy with God. Uh, You you could say it like this. You could uh, take a married couple, for example, and if one of the spouses commits adultery, are they still married? Yes, the answer is yes, but there's been a break in the intimacy trust of those two people. It's not unlike our relationship with God. There's a break that takes place. God still loves us, but whenever we live in our sin, that it just keeps going on and on, what happens is we end up creating this callous heart. Listen, I'm mess up. We will mess up probably today in some capacity But when we keep on going on with this and we never confess it, we never ask God to remove it, what we're doing is when we're not dealing with it, it's like a plaque in 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 the arteries of your heart. It just gets hard. It just begins to bring this blockage. And all of a sudden, we can't sense that God is there. Some of you are looking at me a little bit with deer in the headlights look, so... Let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, Let's say, for example, that it's freezing cold. It's going to be really nice today. Uh, But 
let's say it's going to be cold in South Texas, like 40 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. Like, like minus 15 degrees, it's freezing cold outside, but you have all of the necessary clothing for that kind of weather. And so you put on your long underwear, uh, you put on your jacket, you've got a ski mask that goes over and all is just the eyes and the, uh, and the mouth and, and you can see through it. And but then you've got goggles you put on, you've got a ski hat, you've got your jacket, you've got your gloves, you've got your ski pants, you've got boots that got warmers in them. And you step out into this minus 15 degree weather, what do you feel? You don't feel cold because there's too many things between you and the cold weather. It's still cold outside, but there's enough layers there to keep you from feeling the cold. There's something separating you from what's really there. So if we continue to let sin rule in our life, it's not that God's not there, but there's something that's separating, something that's blocking us from feeling the intimacy and the goodness of God that is still there. And it's why we at times say, I just simply don't feel him. Some people say, well, Ryan, you know, I'm not doing the big sins, and to that, we just say, congratulations. That's my sarcastic clap, by the way. It's a thing. Congratulations, you're not doing the big sins. Well, what are the big sins? Right? So, so maybe you're caught up in the culturally acceptable sins within the Christian life of uh, things like envy, right? And, and so envy is the thing. You, you're, I just started on Instagram, and I've been Instagramming our trip and editing pictures. It's just this amazing thing. But maybe you're on Instagram, and you're like, I need that, or I want that trip, or I hate that person, or I really hate that person for looking that way. And, and now, all of a sudden, envy is this issue in your life. Or, or maybe it's gluttony, maybe it's laziness, maybe it's this some sort of sanitized sin that just keep, kind of lives there. And every now and then, we, we just have to do this gut check. The reason why I know this is because there are so many times in my own life where I've let something Harden my heart. There's some unrighteousness living in my heart, and I have to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sensing right now that I don't feel you. I don't, I'm not close into your presence. And I confess that it's wrong, and forgive me, and, and cleanse me. It's why David prayed in, in the Old Testament. He, he says after a lot, and a lot of sin, after the big sins, right? He says, create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's a distance that's taken place. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. There may be some of us who, who have allowed sin in our life to block the reality that he's already there. He's still with you. See, I don't always feel God. And maybe that's because sometimes I sensationalize it. Maybe it's because I've allowed my heart to grow harder. Or, or third, maybe it's just that God wants to draw me closer to him. Maybe God wants to draw us close, closer to him. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, when Paul was preaching in Athens, he preached this way and he says, from one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. And then he explains to them the why behind what he just said. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, Perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So why did God do this? Well, he did it so that they would seek him and perhaps would reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from them. I want that God. I want to know him. I want to pursue him. There, are, there may be those times, and this is, this is just a suggestion, that maybe we don't feel God 
Because God wants to bring us to a place where we have more of a desire for him. Well, what does uh, separation do? What, is depriva- what does deprivation do? It draws out desire. If I don't eat, what happens? I, I get, okay, <laughs> yeah. If I don't eat, I get hungry. If I don't drink, I get thirsty. Maybe you have heard the, the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder, that there's something about the deprivation that draws out desire. Familiarity as well breeds discontent. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, familiarity, and some of us have been doing this a very long time. We are very familiar with emotions in which we go through, and because we're familiar, oftentimes we have become content or Could I even use this word, complacent? What if God, what if God in his glory draws us out to seek him where we start to long for more of him? Our lives get crazy. This is, we live in a time that is in chaos in regard to the hours of our day. If you have children, they're in sports, they're going to school, you've got jobs. Oftentimes in this community especially, both parents are working, you're going different directions, and it's hard for us to just take a moment and have it with our spouse. And when that happens in their separation, there is more and more of this desire to be with your spouse. And that's the same thing with God. We get involved in all of this stuff and we get busy in all of this and, and really, we have a jealous God who just wants time with us. He wants to be the number one in our life. He wants to be the greatest object of our desire. He wants us to pursue him. He said, I don't feel him. I, I just, I don't, I don't sense his presence. And I would just say that feelings are not faith. Feelings are not faith. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent from your life. We pursue him. And the good news, according to Jeremiah 29, is you will see, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That when you seek him, you will find him. Maybe for some of us, God is going to create a longing in our heart that when we wake up, we say, God, I want to experience more of you today. I want to know, God, that you're with me, that you press into him. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And scripture says that the promise is then all of these things will be added unto you. Anytime we truly sense in a powerful, even supernatural way that God is with you, you need to hear this. Embrace it. Embrace it because it does happen. He he is there. When you are in that worship time and you do get those goosebumps and those chills, you get that feeling. There are times when when you're just like, I got to take my shoes off because this is holy ground that I'm standing on. That when those times happen, you embrace those times because it is and he is. But you also need to hear that it's not always that way. You don't always get that sense. You don't always feel him in that same way. God, I sense you're with me. I worship you and I want to give you all the glory in the world. Listen, when the tears flow, Embrace it because it's real and he's real. But never forget that whether you feel him or not, he is always with you. Don't ever forget to embrace him in the everyday moments. So when you're driving to work and the sun rises and casts an amazing sunrise over the horizon, that God is with you in that moment. 
that when you are at work and you're doing something that God has gifted you with and created you to do, that God's presence is in that moment. And when you come home to kids who love you and care about you, guess what? God is in that moment. God is in the everyday moments, whether we feel it or not. My God is always with me. My my imploring of you today is to not just trust your feelings because feelings aren't facts. The fact is, is we are reminded of the promise that God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. The gal that I talked about at the beginning of the message, she continues to search for God, continues to drive herself to church every week, sometimes feeling the presence of God, but regardless of feeling the presence of God, knows that God is with her. There may be moments where she doesn't feel it, but the promise is that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Let's pray. Father, today we pray that as a church full of people who long, I believe, to be in your presence, even today, to be in your presence, that we would become increasingly more and more aware, God, that whether we feel it or not, that you will never leave us and never forsake us. You are always with us. You are always good. Just as you're reflecting today, I wonder how many of you would say, I am a follower of Jesus and I want to be even more and more aware of the ongoing, ever-present goodness of God in my life. I want to know that he's with me so that I can represent and glorify him. In fact, if that's you, I would just invite you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I want that in my life. I want to know more of his presence in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, Ryan, that's me today. God, I thank you for, for these that would say that, that, that would lift their hands towards you. And, and God, I pray that if we ever are over-sensationalizing it, God, that you would give us the power to see your goodness in the everyday moments that we wouldn't have to experience something in order to recognize that you're present. God, we recognize that there are times when you do speak audibly, when you do write on walls, when you send angels from heaven. But God, I also recognize that there are moments where we just see you in the glory of creation and the power of new birth and new life on this earth. Help us to sense that you are with us. God, I pray today for those who may be missing you because of a buffer of sin in their life. God, I'm aware of this because I recognize that there are times in my life where sin blocks the intimacy with you. And so today, God, I pray that there would be no condemnation because your word says there will be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but out of a purity of heart would deal with whatever that is. That we would confess it to you, that we would confess it to, to others, God, that, that we would find healing in you and we would again experience a intimacy with you. Restore us, God, the joy of our salvation. Create in us a clean heart anywhere where our hearts have grown hard. God, finally, I pray that your love to reveal yourself to us would be ever-present today. 
God, that we would see you clearly, maybe like never before. God, that regardless of whether or not we have the goosebumps or we start crying or we feel at peace, we would know that you are here. No matter what you feel, the fact is, is that God is crazy about you. We started off by saying that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, who was without sin. He didn't have sin in his life. He knew no sin. He took it upon himself so that you could receive mercy and grace, that you could receive forgiveness. He died and rose again. Why? So that whoever, and this includes you, whoever calls upon his name will be saved, will be forgiven, will be transformed and be made new. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that that's you, that, that you're sensing God is drawing you to him. And I would just remind you that what that is, is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit doing what he's done since the beginning of creation. He is drawing all men to him. We're reminded of a, of a story of, of a woman who walked into our building. And as soon as she walked across the threshold, just waterworks, just crying. Not even understanding why, not having been to a message or worship or any of those things, but just started bawling. And I reminded her that that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him. That you're not here by accident. You're not, you're here because you recognize and you sense that you need Jesus. And so what do you do? You call on his name. You say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And when you do, the promise is so clear and so amazing that you, he will forgive every sin that you've ever committed and you'll be completely brand new. Some of you in, in the midst of that may feel this spiritual euphoria. That may be you. You may be, you, you may be the one who's like, yes, that's me. I need God. I am a sinner. I need a savior. And for the first time, you're making that commitment even this morning. And you sense this spiritual feeling that's taking place in your life. And there may be somebody that's sitting right next to you that's saying the very exact thing and not feel one thing. But the promise is true. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today I turn from my sin and I turn towards Jesus. And I surrender to you. And if that's you, I, I just would simply say, pray Heavenly Father, I, I surrender to you today. I surrender completely to you. Save me, make me new, fill my life with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you and serve you all the rest of the days of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.